1: From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio this week for Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argesinger, and for $1 Million Dollar Portfolio and Deep Value, Ron Gross. Happy New Year, gentlemen. Hey, Happy New Year. 2015. To you. Sounds, 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 strange. sounds it is, strange. It is part two of our 2015 preview show. We're going to get into a few reckless predictions and stocks to watch in 2015. But, Ron. Let's take a little bit of a step back. Let's okay. let's talk industries first because uh, depending on what industry you're looking at, certainly the energy industry of late has uh, undergone a bit of turmoil. Oh yes. What's the industry you're most interested to watch in 2015?
0: An industry that I've never invested in, but now it's starting to get really interesting for me, is solar. Yes! Oh. Wow! <laughs> well, hello there! <laughs> Pumping my fist! <laughs> um, I read an interesting report out of it from uh, Deutsche Bank that said prices are going to come down about 20% um, next year for solar, and by 2016, 47 states will have the ability um, to put solar in cheaper than alternatives, um, versus the only 10 states that can do that right now. Um, it's definitely an industry that's been around for a while, but it's still in its infancy. Um, I don't, I'm don't. i not an early adapter, but now this is starting to get interesting to me.
1: You're not an early adopter, but you are a value investor, and so when you say things like It's to worry th- you? Th- no, no. When you say things like, this industry is starting to get interesting to me, I take that as code for, these stocks have gotten whacked.
0: Well, be, as you <laughs> mentioned energy, because oil prices have come down, um, alternative energies or, I guess, traditional sources of energy. Are now more interesting as competition for solar, and the solar stocks get hit. So, First Solar's down 35% over the last three months. Solar City down 12% over the last three months. The stocks are starting to pull back, but the growth opportunities is still there. One, three, five, 20 years from now, starting to look
2: interesting.
1: Maddie, did he just steal your industry?
2: No, no, but, but certainly I, I love the industry. Uh, you know, he, and Ron mentioned that uh, you know almost all the states are going to be um, solar power. In all states, is going to be competitive with traditional forms of electricity, um, and th- that's partly dependent on the the solar tax credit continuing. But even if that solar tax credit goes away, uh, you're you're still going to have the majority of states. Where solar power is more competitive um, than traditional forms of electricity, and that's an amazing uh, accomplishment considering where we've been over the last five years. So amazing! And in terms of the industry, so you're saying amazing. <laughs> in terms of the industry I, you're that. actually watching, sure. Well, I'm, I'm I'm looking at the entertainment industry just because I think there's no other industry that's going undergoing more disruption or at least more changes than than entertainment. Whether you're a pure content producer, whether you distribute content. Um, I, I, and all the deals and the people and and the vast majority of customers I think in a few years being cutting their cord and going away from cable uh, there's just a lot of changes a lot of moving parts so in, del- delivery
0: mechanisms specifically are, are you thinking
2: I think so I think it all starts with the, everything starts with the consumer and the consumer has decided I think um, or, or at least more consumers are deciding that they they want they want what they want on demand mm. they want to watch what they want when they want to watch Three, it free please and it, exactly and it's it's just it's changing the way it, it, i think the way internet for example is going to be is going to be packaged it's going to be packaged differently because that is going to become the sole source of people's entertainment is just making sure that they have a broadband connection
1: one of the big deals of 2014 was the comcast time warner cable deal that has not been approved that's still being reviewed do you think that actually goes through i mean the the initial Response to that was whoa these these are two companies that are too big to be allowed to merge.
2: I don't yeah I still I'm still very skeptical of that whether that's actually going to happen. But um, in in a few years though that actually might. That might actually look like not a, a big deal as it is right now, just because I think the dynamics of the industry are changing so much.
0: You know, it's interesting. Th- in order to compete with the Netflixes of the world, uh, all these new theaters are popping up, these luxury theaters with leather s- seating and dinner and, and sometimes alcohol, um, to make it uh, more attractive to go to the movies again instead mm. of staying home. And I wonder if that's going to end up just being a big bunch of money sunk into things <laughs> that don't end up working.
2: It, it could be. I, I just feel like they we, you know we own IMAX. In Supernova and the Odyssey One portfolio, and one of the main reasons we own that is just because we think that's really the only way that people are going to go out to to the movies in the future. Because why? It just can't. A traditional theater can't compete with your living room, but certainly an IMAX can. And films, uh, you know, filmed in IMAX and formatted that way are, are still pretty compelling.
1: Yep. Alright, Ron, one opportunity you think investors should check out in 2015?
2: I wonder if this will be controversial or
0: not. I think an opportunity exists, at least for the next year, in consumer discretionary stocks. And, and there's several reasons for that. Employment looks pretty good right now. Low oil prices, good for the consumer household debt has come down, interest rates are low, mortgage rates remain low, consumer confidence at a seven-year high, and the stock market basically at an all-time high. I think that bodes well for the consumer. Now, all those things I just mentioned won't last forever, but I think they will persist for some time. So, whether you're looking at something like a Disney or even a Home Depot, perhaps even an automobile company like Ford, I think there's money to be made into consumer discretionary.
1: When you look at the numbers of how many people are retiring every week, then Home Depot, I think, becomes slightly more interesting. Just because they got to do something, <laughs> exactly. you got to fill the time somehow. Sure, of course. Uh, Maddie, what about you? One opportunity for investors?
2: I think I think emerging markets is an area where investors need to start taking a look. Uh, you know, if. The, on a relative basis, emerging markets have just done horribly over the last several years, while the U.S. stock market has just soared to new heights. Um, especially lately, there's been a lot more volatility. You know, places like Russia, Latin America. Um, I just think that's one area, and I, I don't really have any specific ways of playing it. Um, Mercado Libre is one name that we really like in Supernova, which I, I think investors should take a look at. But maybe it's uh, just you know buying a, an emerging market ETF or one in particular that I like is Mexico. I think Mexico's uh, ETF, the EWW, has just been—it's come down about twenty percent over the last uh, month or so because of one reason, because of lower, lower oil prices. But I just think a country like that, or emerging markets in general, is a place you should be looking.
1: All right, one big question you have going into 2015, and I know there are a lot of questions.
2: Always oh, in this business,
0: it's all questions. Um, and I hate to go macro, but I think I have to here, and because China is a big question mark for me, um, because it feeds into so many different things. Commodity be, commodities being the big the big question, but that then feeds into and, and kind of goes down into so many other industries as well. So, if China, as we know, their their growth is slowing, they're trying to spur growth with interest rate policy, um, but clearly it's not going to be the 15% growth that w- we kind of expected uh, from the past. Is it going to be 5%, 4%? We don't know. Our commodity is going to kind of firm up at some point, because really we've been dropping, in addition to oil. Um, quite a bit lately, and that's been affecting some stocks that I own, um, as well as whole, whole broad sectors. So, that's uh, something I'm going to be watching.
1: Were you surprised that the S&P 500 did as well as it did in 2014, coming on the heels of 2013, where the market was up 30%?
0: Yes and no. Um, Andy Cross, our chief investment officer, and I had a bet at the beginning of the year, where would the S&P end up? And I said it would be up 17% for the year. Um, I'm not sure where we are. 15 maybe with dividends. Um, right now, so pretty good. So I guess I'm not surprised. But to be honest with you, yes, I kind of am surprised. That was a little bit of a reckless prediction back uh, back 12 months ago. Um, I'm surprised. I can't imagine that persistent to 2015. What did you bet? Just a dollar. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's like trading places. It's like trading places. <laughs> uh, you can't go wrong betting a dollar. <laughs> Maddie, what about you? I think my big question is just the digital a- advertising revolution, but particularly mobile advertising. Is, is this new world that everyone thinks we're going to have? In other words, when the Facebooks of the world, the Twitters of the world, um, all the advertising and all the eyeballs and all the conversion rates go to those platforms. And I just don't, to me, it's still a huge question. I, I thought it might have been answered a little bit this year with Facebook's great results and LinkedIn's great results, but um, I, it's still an open question for me whether or not advertising on those platforms is going to be just as compelling for advertisers as it has been you know, for decades on television, radio, traditional, uh, you know, traditional media.
1: It does seem like when you look at advertising, that at least some of the money that is being spent, and I, I say this not just for the multinationals like Coca-Cola, but even just for smaller local or regional companies, at least some of that money is spent just for optics. It's just, I want to see my business's ad. In the newspaper, or I want to hear it on the radio. I want to see it on TV because if you just think about it from the standpoint of analytics, well, then the advertising that you're doing online and through mobile, you're going to have
2: more data on how your advertising is doing. Right. Well, then that, that's that, that is key. There is there's hopefully more data behind all of this that's driving all these companies and advertisers to make smart decisions about where they're placing their brand. Um, but I, to me, it's still an open question of whether or not how successful these these platforms are going to be. Coming up, reckless
1: predictions and stocks to watch in 2015. Stay right here, you're listening to Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Matt Argusinger and Ron Gross. Part two of our 2015 part, part preview. Two. Part two, exactly. Yeah. Uh, who needs a hit in 2015? It can be a company, it can be a CEO, it can be an industry. There are certainly plenty of companies uh, in the oil industry that, <laughs> that need a hit. I hate leading the witness, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, take it in any direction you want. But right. who needs a hit this year?
0: I really think McDonald's needs a hit. Um, I think they're in trouble. I know they're one of the most popular brands in, in the whole country, but they're they're in trouble. I think um, they've lost it with twenty and thirty year olds um, who have children and who um, used to be their bread and butter, who used to go there all the time. Now with so many choices like Panera, uh, Chipotle. You know, five guys, what have you. Um, They've been in trouble for quite some time. Same store sales continues to decline. Um, I think they're, I mean, the stock's down this year in a pretty strong year, as we said earlier. So if they don't get their act together quick, I think it continues to spiral.
1: Do you think that at some point it makes sense for them to get smaller? Because it is obviously a huge global restaurant company, but is. Part of the answer here, they just need to look at some underperforming locations.
0: That I mean, they might have to, they might be forced to do that, especially when you have a franchise business. You, you sometimes have to look at, at the ones that are not performing well and pair them back. I'm sure they wish that they had not jettisoned Chipotle because people don't really remember that that really was a part of McDonald's at one point for the most part, and um, that would have been a great growth driver.
1: Maddie, who needs a big 2015?
2: I actually think this is this might sound surprising or not, but I actually think Amazon needs a big 2015, and and here's why. I mean, the Amazon had a, a, actually a fairly poor 2014, at least from a stock perspective. Oh, don't um, I know it? And uh, <laughs> well, and and I just think you know early on, well, not er, quite early on, but if you go back to 2002, 2003, um, there were Amazon was getting hit from a lot of sides. A lot of analysts were saying, "Hey, when is this? When is this?" Great company, this great idea actually going to turn out profits. Um, and Jeff Bezos sort of ratcheted everything back um, and kind of proved at that point that Amazon could be very, very profitable. Um, I think he's a guy who re- Jeff Bezos is a guy who responds. Um, you know, and he responds by actions, not necessarily by words. And I just feel like Amazon m- might be in a situation now where they have to do something in 2015, or they're going to start losing the confidence of the market, which has given them, awarded them such this massive multiple to sales and no earnings. Um, that they've had, they've received. And they might actually lose that if they don't.
0: I think there's actually a good chance that that does happen. They might get it back the year after that, or year, the year after that. Um, and and since Bezos, I don't really think cares about what happens to the stock. I think. There's a good shot that that could happen. We'll have to see.
1: And This is a perfect segue to our reckless predictions, because a year ago, Ron Gross, your reckless prediction involved Amazon <laughs> mm-hmm. buying Radio Shack. Wait, wait, it's not over yet. It's not- <laughs> we could chip in right here and buy Radio Shack. You want to do it? Uh, we could, actually. Let's go through the sofa for
0: <laughs> loose change. It's not over yet. That could still happen. Um, this year, um, let's say... I think once competition kicks in and regulatory restrictions kick in, Uber's $40 billion valuation is going to be cut in half to $20 billion. At that point in time, Google comes in and acquires Uber. Uh. And turns it all into self-driving cars?
2: Exactly, and uh. delivery systems. Maddie. Well, we, I, I set this up, and Ron helped me set it up, but I think Amazon in 2015, by the end of the year, reports a $5 billion net profit.
1: Wait. For the year or for one quarter? For,
2: for the year. For the year. Okay. But which would be you profit, know.
1: not cash
0: flow. No total, total profit. No profit.
2: Bottom line profit five billion. Now that It might seem crazy in a stretch, but if you act, there's some precedence for this. They could do this if they actually, if if Jeff Bezos went reckless. So that's that's my reckless prediction. And what
0: does the stock market do for the year? Let's make, let's go bold. Oh God, stock market. Nobody can hold us to this. This is for fun. (laughs) That's the disclaimer. What do you got? Are we going to
1: bet a dollar on this? Yeah, a dollar. You know, I I would have been wrong a year ago because a year ago I thought the best the market was going to do was up low single digits, three, four, five percent, that sort of thing. So I'll I'll take that to. my I'm gonna I'm gonna go a flat
2: ten percent increase in twenty fifteen. I'm going I'm going I'm going pretty low. I'm going I'm going almost break even for the market in two thousand fifteen. I, I you know, every every third year really in history, the market's had a bad year and we've just had a succession of Great years. I mean, 2011 was kind of the one year over the last six where yeah. it was relatively bad. So I'm going to go for kind of a 2011-like year,
0: and I'm going to go for an average year, which I'm going to call nine percent, which unfortunately is
1: close to your ten. So anything a nine above nine, you win. I like it already. All right. Let's bring in our man from the other side of the glass, Steve Broido. Steve, do you have a prediction about the stock market in 2015? I think it'll double. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, double. Has that ever happened before? It's a
0: little reckless, Steve. I'm like,
1: putting you down for 100%. Quite reckless, and uh, a dollar bet. Uh, before we do get to the stocks on our radar, Steve, any. New Year's resolutions you feel like making?
0: I would like to eat healthier. It's probably my last year's New Year's resolution. It will be this one again. And Olive Garden stock plummets. I was going to say, does that include <laughs> less visits to Olive Garden?
1: Or just No, siri, Bob. Okay. They, uh, they have to have some healthy options there, don't Not they? Not many. <laughs> do you have a New Year's resolution? I
0: do. I'm going to start exercising in the morning before work, because by the end of the day, it never works for me. So, I'm going to get it done, get up, get it done, get into the office, have a full day. How many days a week? I'm gonna aim for four, and if it ends up three, then I'm gonna be happy. I like that,
2: Maddie? Uh I, I just I just want to read more, read more books. Like I, you know, I I always start out in early in the year. I read I start reading, and I get through about three or four books by the end of the year. I'm reading ten pages a night, falling asleep, and I can never get through a book. So is that um, fiction? I mean, nonfiction. It's it's a mix of both. A mix. Definitely a mix of both. Uh, so I, for me, it's it's less TV, less internet time, more reading. Uh, you sir.
1: I'm actually going the same as you. I'm trying to work out in the morning. I say try. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. I yeah,
2: didn't say you know it was easy. Look, I want to check, I want to check back with you guys in March on this and see if you guys how many days you've actually gone. To I will gym tell you morning.
0: this
1: morning I did. So, I'm one for one. There that
0: makes one
2: of us.
1: Uh, Alright, let's get to the stocks on our radar, and Steve will hit you with a question. Ron Gross, what do you got?
0: Steve, I know you've heard of a company called FlowServe, ticker symbol FLS. They manufacture pumps, valves, and seals. It's actually a really well-run company, a nice little company, about $8 billion market cap. Um, stocks been hammered as a result of the energy um, stocks falling off because they sell into. The energy industry pipelines need valves and seals and pumps. Actually, so the stock is is off quite a bit, twenty two percent since September, and I think that's a pretty good opportunity to, to look pretty hard at it.
1: Steve, a question about this interesting business:
0: Do you need to be a specialty company to make a pump or a seal, or can you just be any old any company? Well, you, <laughs> any any company would be fine. No, there's 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 very large companies that have subsidiaries that do do this as well, but these guys are special specialize in it.
1: Steve, you thinking about
2: a new business?
0: No, I, I I'm just really struggling with a question on a pump
2: company. <laughs> uh, Matt, what's underrated? I'm going with I'm uh, Activision Blizzard ticker ATVI company that's for you know the video game business has been tough for the last five years, but Activision Blizzard kind of hung hung tougher than most. You know, it's the Call of Duty, World of Warcraft company. I just feel like they've got this great game Hearthstone, which is a free to play. Uh, game, which is massively popular. Um, they're getting into esports. I just think Activision Blizzard is due for a renaissance. The video game industry itself is due for a renaissance, and Activision is going to lead it. Steve, question about Activision Blizzard?
0: How can this company not have quintupled in the last year, given how many sales they're making of all of these popular games?
2: I, I know. It's, it's a, well, it's just a matter of, there's always this idea that video games and World of Warcraft and things like that are just becoming less popular, so that they just kind of keep churning out hits to offset the other former hits that are kind of declining in popularity. And so that's kind of been an overhang, but I, I think they're going to break through that. But, but the stock did wake up. I it mean, did. It, had, was, it, it was good, sleepy
1: for a while. But a good 2014. Yeah, for sure. Good. I just like that it woke up and you know, then rolled over and went back to sleep. It did kind of do that too. Steve, you <laughs> like one of those two? I don't know. I've
0: never done well with Activision Blizzard. I'm gonna go with FlowServe. <laughs> Thank you. So there you wow, go. I rarely
1: win. All right, Ron Gross, Matt Argensinger. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Up next, we will revisit my conversation with best-selling author Daniel Levitin about his latest book, The Organized Mind. Stay right here. This is Motley Full Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Dan Levitin is a professor of psychology and behavioral neuroscience at McGill University. He's also a New York Times bestselling author, and his newest book is The Organized Mind, Thinking Straight in the Age of Information Overload. Dan, thanks so much for being here.
3: Oh, it's my pleasure, Chris.
1: Uh, there are a lot of books out there about how we can all get better organized, uh, but your book really gets into the science behind how our brains work. How does, I guess, my first question is how does understanding neuroscience help us get better organized?
3: Well, as you say, there are a lot of books out there that purport to tell us how to get better organized, how to be more focused, uh, how to be more productive, but uh, the vast majority of them aren't based on scientific principles at all. They're just somebody's own idea. And many of those ideas aren't even tested before they write about them. Uh, where I'm coming from as a cognitive neuroscientist, my, my occupation is studying thinking for a living, how the brain works and uh, in some cases how it doesn't work. And people in my field have learned a lot about uh, why the brain pays attention to some things and forgets others. And that became the foundation for writing a book about how we could use the science of attention and memory to help us all in our daily lives.
1: You mentioned attention and memory, and one of the things your book gets into is new research into those areas. So let's start with attention. What what do we know now about attention that we didn't a few years ago?
3: Well, one of the big things is that uh, we all experience decision fatigue, Uh, And this is a biological constraint in the brain. Every time you make a decision, you use up a little bit of the brain's fuel, which is glucose. And uh, unfortunately, the biology of the brain doesn't distinguish between unimportant decisions and important ones. So if you make a bunch of unimportant decisions, like whether you use a green pen or a red pen, or whether to eat uh, honey nut Cheerios or multigrain Cheerios... After a sequence of such trivial decisions, we find that people exhibit poor impulse control and exercise poor judgments in really important decisions, such as whether to put your retirement money into stocks or bonds.
1: Well, I mean, that's a no-brainer. I mean, who would choose multi-grain Cheerios over (laughs) Honey Nut Cheerios?
3: Uh, I thought you were going to go off about the stocks and the bonds. (laughs)
1: No, I think people have heard me do that before. Um, you know, is, is that why, I mean, there's the story about Albert Einstein where he, he had seven different uh, copies of the exact same wardrobe. Is that why he did that? Was Einstein sort of early to the, uh, to the table on this one, that he didn't want to waste one second thinking about what clothes he was going to wear?
3: I'm guessing that that was it, although he didn't have the neuroscience behind it. Uh, you know, my colleague Oliver Sacks Uh, adopts a kind of similar rubric, which is that he has the same thing for lunch every day. If you don't have to make these trivial decisions, it lightens the neural burden so that you can really focus on the important ones. Now, I wouldn't advocate necessarily that you wear the same kinds of clothes all the time or that you eat the same thing every day. That's a very personal choice. But what the science does suggest is that if you have important decisions to make, make them early in the day.
1: What do we know now about memory that we didn't a few years ago?
3: Well, we know that memory is more limited than we previously thought. That is the short-term working memory, the number of objects you can consciously deal with at any one time. And this is where memory and attention intersect. It turns out that we can't multitask. Uh, We can't really do a bunch of different things all at the same time. We can keep track of three or four things, and beyond that, uh, something starts to fall out. So a number of experiments in the workplace show that people who were multitasking actually get less done at the end of the day than people who use a dedicated focus to one task, finish it, and then go on to the next.
1: Multitasking, though, seems like one of those things that, I don't know, it seems like people have a hard time not doing it. I'm just wondering why that is. If it, you know, If it is something where... We're really not being more productive, and in fact, we're being less productive. Why do you think it is that we keep doing multitasking?
3: Two reasons, Chris. One is that um, we're under the illusion that it's working. And so if your brain is telling you, I'm good at something, you keep on doing it. Uh, But as a neuroscientist, I can tell you that one thing the brain's very good at is (laughs) self-delusion. So... (laughs) Uh, just because we think that it's so doesn't make it so. And the experiments bear that out, both from brain scans and from workplace experiments. The second reason we do it is that it makes us feel productive and it feels good to us to be doing all these things. There's a neurochemistry behind this. Every time we can tick off a little task on our internal to-do list, uh, we get a little shot of dopamine. And every time we pay attention to something new, we get another shot of dopamine. Dopamine is the chemical in the brain that makes us feel good. It's what mediates pleasure. And we set up what is a physiological dopamine addiction loop where we crave more dopamine, even though the dopamine is being produced for things that aren't productive.
1: You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Dan Levitin. His new book is The Organized Mind, Thinking Straight in the Age of Information Overload. One of the things your book gets into is uh, sort of how we can be better at organizing, um, not necessarily learning new mental tricks. And I wanted to get into uh, some of the tips from your book. Uh, And the first, uh, this seems to, uh, in some ways, go against the rise of the information age. One of your tips is use a paper to-do list.
3: Yeah, so I I do want to point out that um, in, in the book, I'm not prescribing or suggesting or or recommending a bunch of high-tech solutions uh, to increase productivity. You don't have to go out and buy a new computer or go to the stationery store and get a new filing cabinet and a bunch of color-coded folders and tabs. I'm not talking about that. In general, I'm talking about very low-tech things that any of us can put together in an afternoon. And um, index cards or or notepads is one such uh, suggestion because we now understand that the neuroscience of writing things down by hand allows for deeper encoding because it requires a lot more, uh, well what we call deep processing, a lot more neural circuitry to write something by hand than to type it. And so you're apt to remember it better Uh, and the other thing about writing it on paper is it's easier If you use index cards to resort them, put them in different piles and put them in different stacks, and to have them in front of you when you're working at your computer, Uh, the problem with making computer lists, although that's better than nothing, is that it's it's a little bit more cumbersome to cut and paste the items if you want to reorder them, and they're often hiding in a window behind the one you're working on. (laughs) Uh,
1: One of your other tips is uh, music to my ears, which is take breaks. Um, just so I don't get in trouble with my boss, how many breaks are we talking about?
3: Well, this again gets back to the science of attention and the physiology of the brain. Um, The brain didn't really uh, evolve to stay focused uh, for long periods of time like we sometimes ask it to do. We push ourselves these days. I think all of us feel like if we stop work for even just five minutes, we're going to fall irretrievably behind. And And the fact is, if you stop and take a break of about 15 minutes every two hours, it allows you to hit a kind of neural reset button in your brain, so that when you come back to your work, you'll find that you're more creative, you're refreshed, you've replenished some of the depleted neurochemicals. And a number of studies show that at the end of the day, people who took these 15-minute breaks every couple of hours not only got more done than people who plowed through, but their work was of a higher quality and more creative. This is even more so true with naps. A single 15-minute nap in the afternoon gives you an effective IQ increase of 10 points. I don't know about you, but I I would really like to have 10 points (laughs) extra IQ.
1: I think all of us would like an extra 10 points on the IQ. Uh,
3: I mean, in my line of work, that's the difference between getting tenure and not.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, You mentioned the end of the day, I think a lot of people have trouble leaving their job at the end of the day when they go home, whether it's uh, to their own place or to their family or or friends or whatever. Um, How big a challenge is that right now? Because it it, it really does seem like, particularly with technology and you can get your email on your smartphone, uh, that we're so connected that it it's maybe harder than ever before to leave work at work.
3: You're absolutely right. So uh, we're all being asked to do more than ever before, uh, both at work and at home. Um, And I think a lot of us feel when we are at home that we can't be fully there. We've got these nagging thoughts in our head about things at work we didn't finish, uh, calls or emails we didn't return, um, worries that maybe we didn't solve a problem that we could have. And then when we're at work, we're thinking about all the things we didn't get to do at home. And so as a result, you end up being really in neither place fully. And when I'm talking about trying to get better organized, I want to be clear that I'm not talking about creating a bunch of mindless automatons who are rigidly strapped to a schedule all the time. I'm talking about a few simple changes we can make in how we structure and organize our time uh, so that when we're at work, we're more productive and efficient, which allows us to uh, Really close the door on work at the end of the day, and be present with our loved ones in our hobbies and in our leisure activities. Uh, I, uh, paradoxically, I, I think you know being more more efficient and productive uh, allows for more time to be spontaneous and creative.
1: I can't believe I'm the only person who struggles uh, with email, um, and I'm curious um, how you organize your own email. What what's something that we can all do to sort of keep our email better organized
3: well after talking I I interviewed a lot of CEOs and uh, government leaders uh, military leaders generals and admirals some cabinet members in the US government Um, and these are highly effective very very busy people and I'm adopting uh, two of the tips that they seem many of them seem to be using I've started doing this in the last couple of years one is um, like you Chris I think I get a lot of emails Uh, that are not really urgent. Uh, I mean, things for something that's going to happen a month from now or just something that's informational that I don't really need to interrupt my work to look at. And then a bunch of stuff that's nonsense, like videos of cats playing the piano. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Do you get those too? (laughs) Keyboard cat. Who doesn't love keyboard cat? Exactly. So um, I opened up a separate email account under uh, a private address and I gave that to only about eight or 10 people who I want to be able to reach me urgently. So that includes my loved ones, uh, my boss, uh, co-workers, And I further instructed them, only use this account if you need to reach me right away. Use the old account that you had the address for for everything else. Uh, and so that's the first stage. Uh, the second is that the other account, the big one, uh, where I get hundreds of emails a day, I turn it off most of the day. And I have a a partitioned period of time where I deal with emails, um, an hour in the morning and an hour in the late afternoon. And then I just plow through uh, all of those emails and I prioritize them and I uh, either reply or file them. Uh, But what it means is that I'm not interrupted every few seconds during the day as I'm trying to work, or for that matter, trying to enjoy some leisure time.
1: Coming up, more with Daniel Levitin. This is Motley Fool Money. You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Dan Levitin. His new book, already a New York Times bestseller, is The Organized Mind, Thinking Straight in the Age of Information Overlord. I know what Area 51 is. What is Area 47?
3: Uh, we're not supposed to talk about that one either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, We're not? Are aliens involved in that one too? Area 47 is the um, the not very poetic name for a part of the brain that I've been studying for the last 15 years, just behind your temples. It's a little sliver of, of tissue um, that tries to predict what's going to happen next in the world. And you can imagine the evolutionary advantage of this. Uh, helps you to figure out if that lion running is running towards you and about to attack or running in another direction. Um, And it's looking basically for structure and patterns in the environment. The interesting thing about this is that it helps to modulate dopamine, that so-called feel-good hormone we were talking about earlier. Um, When we are listening to music or when we're reading a novel, watching a film, uh, that structure is trying to figure out what's going to happen next. If, it, if the, uh, the piece of music, for example, uh, doesn't hold any surprises, Area 47 shuts down because it's bored. If the music is completely surprising and you have no idea what's ever happening, Area 47 shuts down because it's frustrated. Uh, it has to hit just the right balance of familiarity and surprise or of, of predictability and unpredictability to keep it happy. Um, And this has really big implications for the workplace. What we now know, again through neuroscience research, is that the happiest workers in general are those who work in a job that's somewhat predictable, but also has a few well-structured surprises that allows them to exercise some ingenuity and some initiative. Workers generally don't like to feel that um, their work is exactly the same day in and day out. They they, they, and their brains savor the opportunity to exhibit some judgment and expertise.
1: Your day job is as a professor. I'm curious, how organized are your students? And if they're like a lot of college students and maybe not quite as organized as they could be, is that a point of frustration for you?
3: No, not at all. Uh, I mean, I recognize... If they're in a, in a university program, they're trying to learn things and trying to get better at organizing their lives. So um, they're eager and they're um, dedicated to, to learning. Um, I do recognize that there are different systems and different styles that people have. So broadly speaking, some people are filers. They file everything. And other people are pilers. They put everything in stacks or piles. And both systems are perfectly fine depending on what you are comfortable with. With one exception, if you're dealing with paperwork uh, or computer files, for that matter, that are shared in an office or educational setting, um, piling is usually not a good system because only you know where the piles are. So I try to train the students uh, for that portion of their work that they're going to have to share with others, like me. They need to have a perfectly transparent system that anybody could navigate.
1: Now, you're a neuroscientist. You're a best-selling author. You're also quite an accomplished musician. Um, Do I have this right that uh, in addition to playing the guitar, the bass, the tenor saxophone, that you've been a session musician with, I don't know, little, independent, small, struggling groups like the Grateful Dead and (laughs) Santana and Sting and David Byrne? What what kind of double life are you leading here?
3: Well... (laughs) Uh, I've always had a passion for music, and and I I don't want to overstate uh, my qualifications there. I was a sound engineer and consultant for The Grateful Dead and Santana and Steely Dan. Uh, It's only in my later life as a neuroscientist that I've had the opportunity to perform live with Sting and with David Byrne. But it's true, I worked as a session musician in the 80s on a bunch of recordings, maybe uh, one of the more well-known ones was the soundtrack to the film repo man Uh,
1: before we wrap up give me one music recommendation it could be an album you're listening to it could be uh, a song you just learned about and it's in heavy rotation on your ipod what's what's one music recommendation you can make
3: well, I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't make just one. There's so many good things out there now. Uh, one of my favorite new bands is called Claire and the Reasons from uh, Brooklyn. I'm loving a new album by Phil Claypool called The Strong One. He's an artist out of Nashville. Uh, and Rodney Crowell uh, has um, put out three stellar albums in the last couple of years, and he has a duet album with Lou harris on the way and these are all just as good as music gets as as far as i'm concerned
1: the book is the organized mind thinking straight in the age of information overload it is the latest new york times bestseller from dan leviton so check it out dan thank you so much for being here thank you chris before we wrap up our mission here at the motley fool is to help the world invest better we do that with this radio show, and we do it with investing services like Motley Fool Stock Advisor. It is our flagship service. It's run by David and Tom Gardner, and it's a great way to get started investing. We've got a special offer for our listeners on Motley Fool Stock Advisor. Just go to mfmoney.fool.com. That's mfmoney.fool.com. If you're a member of our services already, then you probably know someone who could use some help investing. So, tell them to check it out, mfmoney.fool.com. We'll help them invest better, I promise. That's going to do it for this week's show. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.